All right, well, tonight we are continuing our final series for the semester that we began last week called Journeys of Faith. And it's kind of a series where we're, we're looking at what does the Bible say about faith and specifically how do we see that play out in the lives of very real people throughout the Bible. Okay, so it's a little bit of a short series. We got a sick graphic. Um, and so we're looking at these journeys of people in the Bible and how, um, how faith was demonstrated in their lives, okay? And before I get too far, I wanna just take a moment um, to say that like, if you're, if you're sitting there like, okay, Malia, I've heard a lot of these stories before. A lot of these are like your typical Sunday school stories. I went to a Christian school. I've heard this a million times. I know, I know about faith. I know about these stories. Um, or if you're like, that's really awesome that God did that in them, but there's no way he's gonna do that in me, okay? Like, they're extra spiritual people. They were alive when Jesus was alive or in Bible times or whatever. Like, they're on a different level and I'm not there. Either way, let me just challenge you, okay? Are we okay with a little bit of challenge? Great. Um, they're normal people. <laughs> Everyone that we're reading about is a super normal person that just met Jesus or met God and had their lives changed by him, okay? So that's not anything different than what we have access to now. So there is no like, oh my gosh, they're so amazing and I'm not, my life is never gonna look like that because they're real people like we are. And if you're like, gosh, I've heard this a thousand times, then my challenge for you is, does your life look similar to theirs? If not, then maybe there is something that you can take away from tonight, okay? Those are my challenges, we're good? Okay. So, if you weren't here last week, our associate pastor Adam spoke on um, kind of what faith is, um, how the Greek word is pisuo, and it's actually a verb. So when we're talking about faith, um, according to the New Testament, it's not like, oh, this, we have this thing called faith. It's, no, we are faithing something, like, which sounds weird kind of in our context, but it's, we're putting our faith in something and it's being worked out in a way that's very active. So he read the story of Jan, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how their lives really demonstrated that. Like, they put their money where their mouth is, and they said, we believe in God, and we believe that he can save us from the fiery furnace. And even if he doesn't, we still believe that he's God, right? Like it doesn't, for them, it didn't matter what the outcome was because their faith was in a person and not in the end result. It was so good. If you weren't here, you should go back and listen to it once it's on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, and so tonight we're gonna continue in these journeys of faith and we're gonna read about the life of Joshua. <laughs> Everyone looks at Joshua. <laughs> Um, Joshua, if you don't know very much about him or if you're like, that name kind of sounds familiar, but I can't really think of a specific story. Um, he was the guy that ended up leading the Israelites into the promised land after their 40 years of exile. He was the guy that led them to walk around the walls of Jericho for a bunch of times until it fell down. He's that guy, okay? 
Um, we're going to look at a lot of significant moments in his life. So we're going to cover a couple of different books here. Hang with me. It's a lot of scripture. Um, but there's also so much more here that we're not going to cover. And so my encouragement is if you have some, you know, extra free time in the midst of your midterms or finals or whatever you have, um, take a look at the story of Joshua because there's some really good stuff in there. And as I've been preparing for tonight and praying for tonight, I've just, um, I've been praying that as a, as a college ministry, we would be people that are stirred in our faith by the life of Joshua. So I'm just going to pray that over us before we jump in, okay? Father, we love you and we thank you, God, for your word that reminds us of what is true, that teaches us of what is true, and all that we get to learn from it. And so tonight, God, would you stir our hearts, would you stir our faith in a fresh way? God, that we would not leave the same people as we walked in as, but we would leave transformed because of the ways that we met with you here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua. So he has an entire book of the Bible named after him, and he actually only appears a couple, like a handful of times in scripture before then. So that means we don't really know a whole lot about his early life, but we do know that in Exodus 17, it's the first time that he shows up in the Bible. It's the second book of the Bible. When he shows up there, he's leading the Israelite army in defeat against the Amalekites. So he's good at something, right? He's a military leader, pretty good at it because they win. And we know that by Exodus 24, he has become Moses's assistant. So Moses, the guy that, you know, brought down the Ten Commandments, that was a pretty big day, um, did a lot of things. He led the Israelites in the wilderness for a long time. And um, when we pick, pick up his story in Exodus 24, there's a lot that we can learn, even from just his, a brief mention of him, okay? We get glimpses of his journey of faith over the next few chapters, and I think there's a lot to learn from him. But what I want to start with is that faith is cultivated in God's presence, as we're going to see here. Okay, so Moses, the guy that went up the mountain, got the 40, not 40, excuse me, went up the mountain for 40 days, got the 10 commandments, and a lot of other things, and then came back down, right? Well, if you don't remember, I'm just going to read it briefly. So in um, verses 12 through 16, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandment which I have given for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. Have you ever noticed that when Moses does this, he's not alone? This is a really significant moment, not just for him, but for all of history, right? He's coming back with the Ten Commandments. He's coming back with instructions in how to lead God's people into starting a new nation for themselves. Like, this is huge. And on top of all that, he's going to meet with God. And at that time, it wasn't just like you can meet with God all the time. There were specific places and times that were set apart for people to go and actually meet with God. So for Moses, this is a really big deal right? And who does he bring with him? Joshua. 
So I can't say with full confidence what exactly happened on that mountain and how involved in it Joshua was. But what I do know is that he was there and that he was sitting in the cloud of the glory of God for those six days with Moses. That's huge. And I think as he was sitting there as a learner, an observer, as kind of a fly on the wall to Moses and God's conversation, I think there was, so there was something that changed in him. So this is kind of the middle of Moses' journey, but it was the beginning of Joshua's. And the next time we read about him is a few chapters later in Exodus 33. So in those nine chapters, kind of between 24 and 33, there's a lot that happens. Most of it is not awesome, okay? The Israelites start worshiping a God that they made that looked like a calf, which God was not super happy about. It brought Moses and Joshua down from Mount Sinai to tell them, hey, you guys got got to get it together and stop sinning against the Lord. And then they went back up the mountain to get more instructions from God, okay? So bad news for the Israelites. And, and God had such a, he was like, I can't be around you guys if you're going to sin in this um, idolatry against me. And so once they came down from Mount Sinai, God said, okay, leave Mount Sinai, head towards the promised land under one condition. I will not go with you. And Moses is like, hold on. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to we got to do some negotiation here because we're not going to go there if you're not going to go with us, okay? So Moses, they start heading out, and Moses sets up a tent outside of their camp. So there's the Israelites' camp, and then there's this literal tent called the Tent of Meeting that Moses would set up, and he would walk out there and meet with God. And people would know when he was meeting with God because this pillar of a cloud would, like, cover the entrance, and people would know that God was in that that God was speaking with Moses. Verse 11 of of Exodus 33, it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Joshua didn't leave. I don't know how long exactly he stayed there, but that's the last time we hear from him for a while, so it could have been, could have been a minute. But he had experienced the presence of God on Mount Sinai, and he longed for more. These two moments together, I think, are, are the collective beginning of his journey of faith. Before anything else in his life had happened, he began to cultivate this, this faith and this love for the presence of God. And the same has to be true for us. We have to start in the presence of God and cultivating a faith in him before we do anything else. But I'll say that it it looks different now. In the Old Testament, right, there were these specific places that people would go and talk with God. And then when Jesus came, he kind of ruined all of that in the best way. Um. While Jesus was here, people would still go to the temple, still meet with God there, Um, but there also was a man. God had taken the form of a man, so anyone, really, if we think about it, could walk up to Jesus and have a conversation with God, whether they knew it or not, right? Like, he he was here. And then Jesus ascended back to heaven, as we know, and he gave us his spirit. And so now, meeting with God is not limited to a specific place, or a specific person, 
but his presence is always with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. The difference is that rather, rather than a place that is set apart to meet with God, we have to have a heart that is set apart to meet with God. Instead of going and meeting him somewhere, we have to have a heart that is in, in a space that is actually ready to meet with him because he is fully available, but are we? Often, I don't, I don't know if we are. I picture Joshua and Moses at the tent of meeting and, Josh, or, and Moses is like, okay, time to go. And Joshua was like, dude, seriously? Like, we, we encountered the glory of God on Mount Sinai and we had to go back because the Israelites were messing stuff up. So that's valid. But like, we don't have to leave right now. Do you get that? Like Moses, we don't have to go anywhere. I don't, I don't want to leave the presence of God. So he stayed and Moses went back. Is that, is that the cry of our heart when we meet with God? God, I don't want to leave your presence. Or does it look a little bit more like, okay, I got five more minutes and then I got stuff to do. And if, we're, if okay, I'll speak for myself. If I am being honest, sometimes it really does look like that, right? And it's because when, I, when those moments happen, it's because I didn't, take my heart and mind to the place that they needed to be to actually meet with God. Rather than sitting in his presence, I was, I was probably sitting in the distraction of, what do I have to do today? Rather than giving him my attention, I'm giving my attention to someone that's texting me. Right? These are really small things, but they trip us up often. And there's so many things that we let our hearts and minds sit in that are not the presence of God. But what if we chose to look more like Joshua? What if we chose to sit in stillness and behold the glory of God? I think we overcomplicate this a lot of times. Like, I don't know, time with God has to look like this, or this is how I do it, or I don't know, I just, there's all this pressure on it. It's really easy to get there. But let me just simplify it in a couple of ways for you real quick, okay? Here's a couple of practicals of what I personally like to do. Um, the first thing is get rid of distractions. So my phone, big distractor. So I have said it a long time ago to be on sleep, do not disturb, whatever mode until 8.30 pretty much every day. So by the time I'm, I'm meeting with Jesus, spending time with him in the morning, by the time I'm done, like I haven't seen a single notification because it's just, it's not showing up. So one practical thing you can do Set your phone to do not disturb and get rid of the notifications that'll distract you. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just something that I have found helpful, okay? So you can take that one for free. The other thing is I'll ask God just a very simple question. I'll say, okay, what, what is it that you want me to hear from you today? Or what do you want me to remember today? Or what do I need to know about who you are today? I'll just ask him and write down what I feel like comes to mind and make sure that it's actually biblical, but I'll write it down. And then I'll try to take that with me as I go. Because whatever I learn about Jesus in the morning should be impacting the rest of my day. And most of the time, honestly, it's really simple. He's usually like, I love you and I'm proud of you. I'm like, that's awesome. So later in the day when I'm like, oh, I dropped the ball on something, like, shoot. He's like, hey, remember what I said this morning? I love you and I'm proud of you. I love you even if you drop the ball. 
I'm still proud of you. I'm like, okay, you're right. I can, I can keep going, right? Instead of getting caught in this like, oh my gosh, I'm, a, I'm the worst and what do I do, whatever. Like the spiral that we can go down, we lean on what God has already taught us about himself and us, right? Meeting with him is not about getting all of the answers to our questions or checking the box or making sure we're doing the right Christian thing. It's about beholding him and getting to know the person that our faith is actually in. And let me be clear, we don't walk by this blind faith. I think the world can often convince us that our faith is just kind of like wishful thinking and hoping for the best. And I don't know, I'll just have faith that that'll work out. But it's not. It's in a person who has proved himself faithful over and over and over again. Let's look at Joshua's life again. So far, up to this point, right, he has participated in very little of the things that God has done. And that's okay. He's, he's getting started. But honestly, he probably just didn't have a whole lot of his own history with the Lord. He's, he's been alongside Moses. He's been part of the Israelites for, you know, his whole life. So he knows all of the stories. He knows that Moses has these crazy stories of um, God sending 10 plagues on the Egyptians to let the Israelites escape from the oppression. Or he knows that Moses was there when God moves through him and the Red Sea parted and all of the Israelites were able to cross on dry ground. Or he knows, um, sorry, where did I? There we go. Um, that the Lord provided food from the sky and the ground and water from a rock so that they wouldn't starve in the wilderness. Like Joshua knows all of these stories that Moses has been a part of, right? But he's like, those are, those are Moses' stories. And those stirred his faith, I believe, but they were Moses' stories. So in Numbers, um, we're going to come back to this point. In Numbers 13, the time comes for Joshua's faith to be put to the test a little bit. Because he's seen Moses put to the test his whole life, but now it's his turn, right? And so there's this moment where God tells Moses, he's like, hey, I want you to send a team of 12 spies to the promised land to scout it out and report back to you what they find. Moses was like, sweet, got it. So he picks 12 guys and he's like, hey, just go check out the people, the agriculture, the food situation, like kind of all the things that you would want to know for a land that you're going to move to, right? And this land was the land that God had said, hey, I'm going to give you this. And there's people that already lived there, which meant that the Israelites would have to somehow conquer whoever lived there. And so guess who's on this, this team of spies? Joshua, right. And when they get back, they're like, okay, so good news. The land is awesome. It has everything that we could hope and dream it would be. Um, small problem. The guys that live there are massive and they have really good defenses. So unfortunately, it's a no-go. It's just not going to happen. It's awesome, perfect in every way, but we're not going to take it. And this news devastated the Israelites. It says they were like crying all night long because this is a big deal. They've spent the last however many months wandering around the wilderness, um, seeing God provide all of these miracles and, and their hope is in this land that they're gonna get to. And they're like, what do you mean? We're not, gonna, we're not gonna ever be able to move into it because the people that live there are like huge and strong and we can't defeat them. Like, we have to go back to Egypt? And Joshua and his friend Caleb are like, what? That's, no, like that's ridiculous. It says, 
Let's see what Joshua says. In verse... In Numbers 14, verses eight through nine, Joshua says, guys, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey, only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land for their bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. So do not fear them. Like for Joshua, it was very simple. He's like, guys, we know who God is, right? Don't we? And so if he says he's going to give us this land, then he's, he's going to do it. Like, why are we all freaking out? And because Joshua took a step of faith and reminded them of who God is, they literally tried to kill him. Yeah, plot twist. It did not go well for him. It says, all of the congregation said to stone him with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all of the people of Israel. So they're like, cool, we don't like what you have to say. We should probably just overthrow Moses, pick a new leader, and hightail it back to Egypt to slavery. Joshua steps in and says, no, guys, let's just remember who God is. And they're like, no, we're going to kill you. And then God shows up. And that's the end of the story. Like, God shows up, done. He defends Joshua, because Joshua acted in faith. And I think the second thing that we can learn from him is that faith is deepened by building history with the Lord. Or another way to say that is faith is deepened by remembering the testimonies that God has given us. Because I think in that moment, he's remembering who he has seen God to be in the life of Moses and in his own life. And he's like, no, God's with us. So why would we not act as though God is with us? Other people's testimonies are powerful, but you're not living other people's journeys of faith. You have to live your own. That's part of, part of my journey of faith is I grew up in a Christian home. And I lived for years off of my parents and my sister's faith. And it really, in all honesty, didn't mean a whole lot to me. Like I think of um, last week when Adam was talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? He says, your faith will be put to the test. And theirs was. And I think at that time, when I was leaning on everyone else's faith, if my faith had been put to the test, I don't know if it would have made it. But when I got to college... I learned how to actually spend time with God for myself and how to listen to him in ways that I never had before. And it changed my life. A couple of months ago, um, this is not planned, but I, I was reading through the book of Joshua just in my own time. And I felt like God said to write down a testimony of his faithfulness that I have seen in my life every day for four weeks. And at first I was like, okay, it's a great idea. I don't have a great memory, so 28 might be a stretch. <laughs> we'll see how far we get. <laughs> and so I did. Every day for four weeks, I wrote down just whatever testimony came to mind of times that I have seen God be faithful in my life. And when I got to the end of those, I could have kept going. There were so many times where I had seen God prove himself faithful. And as I was looking back at my journal, I was like, I have this history of times where God has been so faithful to me. I had testimonies of him providing for me in crazy ways, of him healing uh, physically and emotionally. I've had testimonies of um, him showing up as a friend to me when I felt really alone. And one of my favorites that I, I was remembering um, is how faithful 
he was in my forgetfulness. So a few years ago, um, I've, I've mentioned this before, but I uh, had a season of my life where I had really bad anxiety anytime I got in a car, like really bad. And so we're in, um, we're on a mission trip in the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> and um, part of the trip was we're going to go to this other small country and explore it for like five days. And by the way, you're, you're going to be driving around in these tiny little rental cars that are basically tin cans. I'm like, sweet, sounds good. So 0% of me wanted to go on this trip. I don't know why, I just, I was like, this doesn't sound fun. This doesn't sound like something I want to do. I would rather stay in the current Middle Eastern country that we're in and not go to a different one. But I had to go to that one anyways. And so I was like, okay, God. And I, in all honesty, did not have a great attitude about this. So I'm spending time with God and I'm like, okay, I really don't want to go. Can you just, can you give me like some vision for this or like something for me to hold on to? And God said, Malia, I want to give you freedom. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. But I wrote it down because when you want to steward the, Lord, the words of the Lord well, you write them down. Wrote it down, completely forgot about it. It was like, whatever. A couple days later, we went on this trip. And I'm driving around in this rental car, me, who has terrible anxiety in cars, driving around in this rental car. And let me tell you, um, all of the road signs are in Arabic. I do not speak Arabic, Okay. So problem number one. Problem number two, there is endless construction, like everywhere. So Google Maps, not a thing, not helpful. Number three, um, the road that we're, we're on is in a desert. So like if you think of desert in the movies, when you just kind of look out and it's like never-ending sand, it was that plus like a two-lane road just driving down the middle of it, okay? So there's sandstorms happening across this road all the time. All of these things, I don't know if you've picked up on, are not conducive to someone that has anxiety in cars, right? So we're driving and we go through this trip and we get back to, um, to America a few weeks later and then I'm, even a few weeks after that, I'm driving and I had a 45 minute drive home at night and I, it was beautiful outside. So I rolled my windows down and I was like, I just had this passing thought and I was like, I love this. And all of a sudden this realization hits me that I had not been anxious for a while. And I thought about it and I was like, man, I don't even, I don't even remember the last time that that had been a thing. And so I get home and God says, hey, I want you to, to look back at your journal from the Middle East. It's like, that's super random. Okay. So I pull it out, and I'm looking back at this week before we went on the trip, and I see where it says, God said, I will give you freedom. And I had no memory of writing that down. And I was like, oh my gosh. God, you did the exact thing that you said you would do, and I completely forgot about it. Like months later, had not even realized what he had done. And as I thought about that, I just remember thinking, I was like, God, how could I ever doubt that you will do exactly what you say you're going to do? Do you guys know how faithful our God is? That even when we are completely faithless, he is still faithful? And because of that story, he has deepened my faith over and over again because it is something that I personally saw God do in my life. Because we need those personal testimonies. We can't live off the testimonies of the people around us. And so if you want to take your faith deeper with the Lord, I would say start with just remembering his faithfulness. I am 100% sure that everyone in this room 
has had moments where God has been faithful to them over the course of their life, but have you ever stopped to actually reflect on them and remember and recognize who he's been in those moments? When we understand who God is rightly, our faith skyrockets because when we know who he is, what is there to fear? Joshua could not understand why everyone else was so afraid in that moment because he knew that God was with him. He's like, let's conquer the Canaanites right now. (laughs) Why not? God's with us. He had a faith in God that had been cultivated and deepened over time. And that kind of faith always necessitates response. All right, we're going to keep moving forward in Joshua's life. So now we are up to actually the book of Joshua that is named after him. And this picks up right after Moses' death. So Moses dies and Joshua is named as the new leader of Israel, chosen by God. And if you, if you ever look at his life, there are some weird similarities between his life and leadership and Moses's. okay? It's really interesting. But he sent another team of spies to a different city in Canaan. So he's like, hey guys, You go check out Jericho, and this time he only sent two because he learned from last time. He was like, the other ten guys messed me up last time, almost tried to kill me. We're going to send two. So he sends two, and they came back, and they said, truly, the Lord has given us, given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land will melt away because of us. So these spies come back, and they're like, hey, Joshua, you're so right. This is totally the land that God has given us. He's got this. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, sweet. So he starts leading the people towards Jericho. And then they come across the Jordan River. And Joshua's like, no worries. That's not a problem. If God wants us there, he's going to make way for us to get there. And the Israelites are like, ugh, there's the Jordan River in the way. Like, we should probably just go back, right? Like, they're so quick to give up. (laughs) So quick. But because Joshua knew who God was, he's like, why are we even worried about this? Like, God has done it before. He'll do it again. And so in Joshua starting in, or sorry, Joshua 3, starting in verse 7, the Lord comes to Joshua and says, hey, I want, I want you to send the priests out to the middle of the river there and um, take the Ark of the Covenant, which housed the presence of God at the time. He's like, go, go tell them to just bring the Ark of the Covenant to the middle of the river. And I love that in the very next verse, Joshua turns around and he says to the priest, go right now to the middle of the river and take the Ark of the Covenant with you. And this is like a common theme that you'll see throughout the book of Joshua. God comes to him, tells him something, and like the next verse, he's like, okay guys, we got stuff to do. Come on, let's go. We're doing it right now. He's leading all of those around him in immediate obedience. And he begins taking these seemingly bigger and bigger risks. Like the kind of, the stakes kind of get higher and higher, except that he's not really risking anything because he's just following what God has asked him to do. And he knows how faithful God is, so he's not concerned about the outcome. He keeps risking because faith is sustained by our obedience to God. And I think Joshua knew that. He knew that the more he obeyed God, the more his faith was established in who God was and the more faith he had to continue to obey God. In chapter four, they make it to the other side of the Jordan and the very first thing that God tells them to do is to gather 12 stones 
and to basically build this like structure of remembrance for what God had done. He's like, hey, I know you people. <laughs> you forget things really easily. And so I want you to build like this memorial so that your kids can look back and be like, hey, what's that for? And you can tell them the story of my faithfulness again. Don't forget about my faithfulness. And I love that God is constantly reminding us not to forget that he will fulfill his word. So we pick up in chapter six, the walls of Jericho. This is probably one of the stories that Joshua is most known for. And it says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. So the people of Jericho know the Israelites are there. And some scholars have done some math and believed that because of how the city was set up, the people of Jericho could actually stay within those walls for years with enough food and water. So they were like, bring it on. We can wait it out. Like Jericho was super ready to like war against the Israelites. And these are the Israelites that have been wandering around a desert for a while with very little food. Like they're not they're not really in a position to go to war at all, much less a war against the city that is super well prepared for it, right? Like, it is highly unlikely that this is going to pan out well for them, at least from my perspective. But the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march, excuse me, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. The people will go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, See, quick obedience. He said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And so he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So I know there's a lot of repetition in there, but essentially what it's getting at is this plan that the Lord lays out for them is extremely unconventional, right? It's pretty typical for God. So side note, if you ever feel like God asks you to do something that doesn't really make sense, and the way that he goes, he wants you to go about doing that doesn't really make sense, you're in really good company, and it probably really is the Lord, because that's kind of his MO. But he's, seriously, like, he's saying, hey, I'm, you're basically kind of going to war, but you're not really fighting, and the priests are going to lead the way. The priests don't really belong anywhere near there, right? Like this is not a normal situation for them. But he's like, yeah, the priests are gonna lead the way and then they're gonna blow ram's horns, which culturally means they are announcing they're going to war. So he's like, as you circle the city, tell them that you're announcing war. And also walk in complete silence otherwise. Don't talk to each other. Like this sounds a little bit ridiculous, right? If God told me something like that, I'd be like, can I get back to you on that? Like, <laughs> It's a little weird, but not Joshua. Joshua does not question it for a single moment. He has immediate obedience. And that's awesome, super impressive. 
But what I actually think is more impressive is the fact that he did it immediately, and then he got up the next day, and he did it again, and then he got up the third day, and he did it again, and then he got up, he did that over and over and over. He continues to lead the Israelites in this obedience unto the Lord. And when all was said and done, they had to walk around the city 13 times in a week. That's a lot of times to do the same thing over and over and not see anything change, right? But they did exactly what God told them to. In verse 15, on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And it was on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now notice here, that Joshua did something that God did back in verse two. They both speak of a future reality in a past tense. God says, see, I've already given you the city when they literally had just walked up to the city. Like they had done nothing yet and God was like, look, I gave it to you. And Joshua does the same thing. The walls have not fallen down yet, but he's like, look guys, God gave us the city. Why? Because when God speaks something, he will do it. There is so much certainty that he will that when he speaks that something's gonna happen, he can speak of it in the past tense because it's going to happen. It's as if it already has because there's so much certainty in what he says. Joshua walked in the reality of God's promises and he lived that out all of his life. And so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Joshua lived in the promises, the fulfillment of God's promises, excuse me, Joshua lived in the promises of God before he saw the fulfillment of it. And this, I think, is where we get tripped up a lot of times. We want to see that God is working before we actually respond to him in obedience. But that's not how God works because that doesn't require any faith, right? If we're like, oh, I can see, I can see that you're doing something here, so now I will respond, that doesn't take faith. That takes like a logical mind, right? But if we're saying, I'm going to step out over here where I actually don't know what's going to happen, and I'm just believing that God's gonna do what he said he's gonna do, that's what faith is. And when we don't step forward in our obedience and actions, our faith begins to diminish because we're not seeing the outcomes that we once had so much faith for. Does that make sense? Like, if if someone's like, or excuse me, if I'm walking around campus and God's like, hey, Malia, I want you to pray for that person with a broken arm. And I'm like, ooh, I have two options. I either obey him or I don't, right? Those are our only two options. If I don't, then I'm like, God, I, haven't, I don't really feel like I've seen you show up lately. So the next time he asks me to do something, I'm like, well, I don't know. I haven't really seen you moving. And then if a friend comes up to me and they're like, hey, Malia, can you pray for this thing? I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I can, but like, I don't know if God's really gonna do anything. Like I haven't seen him actually show up recently. But what if I step forward in that? 
What if God's like, hey, pray for that person with a broken arm? Who knows what's going to happen? Only God, right? But when I step forward in faith, you know, maybe they, maybe their arm doesn't get healed, but they're like, hey, thank you so much. I'm like, wow, that was a, that was a cool interaction. I kind of want to pray for someone else. And then my friend comes up to me and they're like, hey, Malia, can you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, God loves to answer prayer. Do you see the difference of like when we respond to God, we have more faith. And when we don't, our faith starts decreasing. We have to put ourselves in a position to see him. And when we don't, we can't be surprised when we miss him. And I personally think that might be part of why Joshua responded so quickly. Like he didn't give himself time to think about the crazy thing that God was asking him to do. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it. If I think about it, I probably won't. So I'm just, we'll do it right now. But either way, when we choose obedience to the Lord, it keeps our faith going. It really does. So by the time Joshua led this journey around Jericho, he had given the Lord so many yeses. God, whatever you ask, I'll do it. Even if it looks crazy. Even if no one else understands why I'm doing what I'm doing. Even if I don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And at this point, I think it would have been actually far more risky for him to say no. And I think that's what kept him in the game as he was walking and circling the city day after day. His faith, his faith was sustained by obedience even when it meant the same act of obedience 13 times. Guys, please don't get tired of obedience to the Lord. Even if it's over and over and over again and it's the same thing, he is worth it. He really is. Are we willing to stay in it when we haven't gotten to the end of it yet? Whatever it is for you, will you stay in it? Will you stay in it if you haven't seen any progress at all? If we're like the Israelites and we want to give up too soon, we don't get the victory. We don't. Towards the end of Joshua, we read that they finally conquered all of the land that God had promised them. In Joshua 21, 45, says not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Everyone was fulfilled. Whoever's on keys, you can go ahead and come on up. So as we, we take some time to respond to the Lord for ourselves tonight, I feel like some of you may just need to have a really honest conversation with God about the disappointment or the frustration of not seeing some of his promises fulfilled to you. And I get it when you're like, I feel like God is leading me into this or I feel like he's spoken this and I've, I've been believing for it, I've been praying for it for years and I'm just not seeing it. That's hard. That can be really frustrating. But rather than saying, I'm just gonna keep my frustration and disappointment over here, bring them to God. Maybe it's something that you feel called to, but there hasn't been progress toward, like, towards it as quickly as you thought. Or maybe it's something that you have obeyed the Lord in over and over, and it's just not turning out how you thought it would. 
your space tonight to tell him that and let him remind you that he is still faithful to his word. Remember the testimonies of his faithfulness in your life. And I feel like some others may just need a fresh encouragement to keep going, to keep walking in obedience, even when you, you do feel like it's the same thing over and over and you haven't seen the victory or breakthrough yet. Meet with God. Say, God, can you just, can you just remind me? <laughs> can you give me whatever I need to keep going, to keep saying yes to you and walking in obedience towards you? And finally, I think that some of you may just need to sit in God's presence tonight. You may just need to remember the testimonies of what he's done in you and through you over the years. Would you stand with me? I think whatever response looks like tonight, it's probably gonna be a little bit different for everyone and that's okay. But God is incredibly personal. And so he has ways that he wants to meet with you here now that are just for you. And so lean into that tonight. You can sit here and just wait until we're done and we all go home and get nothing out of it. Or you can lean in and say, God, I just wanna sit in your presence. And I don't even know what that looks like, but I wanna behold you. I wanna see your face. I wanna be reminded of your faithfulness. I wanna have the boldness to say yes to whatever it is that you're asking me next. Whatever you're, you're being led to respond in, do it. We'll have our, our ministry team up here in the front if you need prayer for anything. But otherwise, just meet with God. So let me pray for us, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your graciousness towards us. God, we want to be responders of you. We want to be like Joshua, who's transformed by meeting with you. So God, would you teach us how to do that again tonight? Would you stir our faith in a fresh way? Would you remind us of how much you love us, how much you care about us? And will we see you rightly? In Jesus' name, amen.